to Project Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth. Many people think you're crazy because you question everything. The crazy ones are the ones who question nothing. If you have to be persuaded and reminded and pressured and lied to and incentivized and coerced and bullied and socially shamed and guilt-tripped and threatened and punished and criminalized, you can be absolutely certain that what is being promoted is not in your best interest. Those are the words from Ian Watson. Does it provide immunity? Yes, only for the manufacturer. Tonight we bring you a medical doctor who has been working on the front lines and was also at what some may consider paranormal experiences. This is another Veritas Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Jeremy went to college, where he got a bachelor's degree of science in biochemistry, studied philosophy and Spanish, went to medical school, and after he earned his medical degree, he completed a residency in internal medicine. Jeremy comes to Vox Populi to discuss nutrition, preventive health, toxins, his covid apocalypse, his paranormal experiences, and more. For the protection of our guest, his family, and his employment, we've made the decision to keep him anonymous. I will simply call him Dr. Jeremy. From somewhere in the desert, I'd like to welcome Dr. Jeremy. How are you? Hi, Mel. It's really great to be here and talk to you. My pleasure. May I call you Jeremy? Yes, sir. Jeremy, you and I have been in touch for over a decade. I think you were in, in pre-med. Were you in pre-med the first time we chatted? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I was, or or I think I was already in medical school, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, um, I, I had been to a particular conference, and my friend told me about you. Uh, and then I realized that you were at the conference and I had missed you. And I, and I was like, I just face palmed. Which conference was that? One of the UFO Congress? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. That was a long yeah. time ago. I, yeah, uh, that was some time. Yeah. Oh, fortunately, I don't attend. I don't get invited anymore because I, it seems that you have to belong to a certain political, political leaning to, uh, be accepted. And this is something I didn't know before, but now I do, but that's uh, a different story. 
Jeremy, let's begin with your story. Let's begin. You've had some paranormal experiences. Some people might think, you know, why are you having a doctor discuss all of this? But people from all walks of life write to me, attorneys, doctors, engineers, with their stories. And most of the time, they just don't want to come out and, and talk about it. But obviously, we're keeping your name secret because of the medical aspect we'll be discussing later. But let's begin with your story. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I I guess I'll preface with I think there's a common thread. I think I think we're we're human beings. There's a mind, body, and spirit. Um, but but anyway, so uh, just stuff about me. Uh, I guess I first became aware that there was some familial, I guess I should say, psychic ability that my family had, and um, it was when a first degree relative uh, remote viewed one of our cats in a very particular situation one morning. Um, I would later learn that it was remote viewing. I mean, at the time I just said, well, how did, how did they know the cat was there? Right. Um, uh, then when I was in, in, in grade school, I remember waking up one morning. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was the morning cause I didn't really have a clock in there at the time, but it was the middle of the night. And you know, you know how, when you think your, your parents are standing at your door and they're just kind of looking in on you and they're just being quiet. Yeah. Um, well I thought I saw my mom in the room except instead of standing at the door, she was like a few feet away from my bed, which, and I woke up and I thought that was weird. And, and, and as I opened my eyes, um, I could see that there was a silhouette there because there was a nightlight right behind my mom, or at least what I thought was my mom. And I was like, mom. And I reached out and the neck, the silhouette of the neck expanded and it was like a hooded cloaked figure. And, and as I waved my hand towards it, it's like my hand sort of just erased it. And, and at that point I was like, you know, I think I, I was a fourth or fifth grader. I can't remember, but I mean, like I got out of bed and I was like, I don't think I'm dreaming. And I went to my bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I kind of slapped my face and I'm like, okay, that just happened, but I didn't feel scared. Never happened again. Okay. Moving on. Um, middle school. Not much to say about middle, uh, middle school. I, I, I think that's the time when I really decided to be a doctor. That's, that's when I decided I was going to pursue that because I had family members that were also pursuing that and it sounded interesting. And, uh, and high school, again, not, not a whole lot with paranormal. I mean, there was, there was one deja vu experience that was very strong, but I would just, I would say I had a typical high school. I mean, really, my upbringing was really, I would say privileged. I mean, I, I got to ride bikes to my friend's house. I played super Nintendo. I'd made mud forts and climb trees. So, I mean, I don't have much to complain about. So I guess it really got weird when I went to college. Um, I was, I, I remember I was studying for, for, for a, for a test one night and I was, I was hundreds of miles away from my parents and we had this cat. My cat of course stayed back with my parents. And so I, so, so, so I went to bed, I'd studied for my test. Um, then I had this dream that I was back in my parents' house. I had the powers of the flash. I'm sure you know who the flash is, you know? So basically in my dream, I was burning through people's yards like the flash. I mean, I would just think, and I would just, I mean, it was like a laser beam just burning through these yards and it, it was dark. And I look in a particular spot on my neighbor's property right next door to my parents' house. And there's this lit up area. I go and stop there. For some reason, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop and I'm going to sit down here. And I, uh, I look around in the darkness. It's like kind of a, 
swirling pastel drawing, you know, kind of like how Sesame Street was, those those pastel animations that were moving. That's that's the closest way I can describe it. And I saw this little animal walking up, comes into the light, and it's my cat. You know, it's my eight-year-old cat at the time. Comes and sits in my lap, and he meows. And I get the sense that he's okay. And and I wake up. I, I take my test. I did pretty well on my test, actually. And that night, my dad calls me. He says, Joe, I got some bad news. Um, Albert, our cat, he was found he was found dead by by our neighbors. But this is the kicker. They found his remains. He had been ripped apart by coyotes, but he, he went down fighting. His claws were out still. Half of his body was there. But he was in the exact spot that I was sitting in in my dream. Um, and at that point, uh, I mean, I was overcome with grief, but at the time I, I had been writing in my journal, you know, and, and I would wake up in the morning and I would record my dreams. So, so I was able to compare this like right away because, you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're, and you're half asleep and you're writing down what you just experienced. And then you go back to sleep and you wake up and you forgot, right? That's yeah. why people forget their dreams. It's because they don't take a moment to remember it or at least write it down. But so later I, I looked and I'm like, whoa. So I think, I think that was, that, that experience was really what triggered me to look into the paranormal, look into the spiritual. Um, I had been raised Christian and I, I mean, I, I, I kind of had a sense of God or the great spirit or whatever, but, but this really made me really delve into it. So, I mean, I, I started doing some research, uh, I don't know why I went to aliens. Um, one of my theories was that aliens facilitated this or it was angels that facilitated this or it was innate psychic ability of cats or or it was innate psychic ability of me with my cat. So I didn't know. So I started researching this and somehow I found Dr. Greer. Um, I, I learned about Dr. Greer and this is, this is when I became introduced to his work when I started just reading about it. And, um, Later that year, I had this dream. It's a very specific dream. It was a mandala. I was standing in front of a big mandala. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the feeling, the feeling it gave me, I can still remember. Um, I was standing in front of this huge, white, bright, white light. And it, I mean, it was like this disc. And there were these processes that I was looking into. And it, it was like I could perceive everything about the universe at once. And the feeling was this great joy, this great gratitude. And I woke up and I was just so happy, but there were just no words because I couldn't, ex I mean, I couldn't explain, I couldn't describe the, the dream that I had because it was like, there were just, I guess there's no words for it. So, so, I mean, I thought that was, thought that was interesting. Um, uh, college in general, I would say aside from that, uh, until I, ran into some people who taught Native American ceremonies. I, I didn't have a whole lot of other experiences. Um, we could talk about the Native American stuff in, in a lot of detail, which I'm not sure we have time for, but I would, I'll just suffice it to say this, the, the, the ceremonies I went through really helped to clarify the importances, importances, the important differences between children and adults. Um, what defines an adult uh, over a child and the important differences between men and women and why they need each other. Uh, and these are things that were never really spelled out, uh, in any of my schooling at that point. And I was, 
the training really blew me away. Like, wow, how come, how come I'm just now learning this and I'm in my, you know, twenties. Um, so, you know, going back to, uh, some of the, your interviews that you did, I think it was season one or two or three, you talked about, uh, I think there was Whitley Strieber that, and, and, and several other people, there was the psychologist who talked about the multiple contactees who had experiences in their house. Well, one summer, uh, I think I, I don't, I don't know what, what year in college it was, but one summer I was back at my parents' house. I was, I was working my job in my hometown and, and I had a dream that I was on my parents' driveway and I looked up in the sky and I saw these like red lights moving in sequence in a circle, almost like there's, they're attached to a disc. And there was, there was a sense of like, we're here and hi. And I, I'm like, okay. Then that same summer, I got woken up at three in the morning, uh, which doesn't usually happen. I mean, I don't, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't drinking coffee at the time. I wasn't drinking any alcohol. I was just working. I was pretty healthy. I woke up at 3 a.m. This never happens. The house is dead silent. Um, and the air felt heavy. Then I felt like there was somebody in the hallway outside my door. Even though I couldn't see or hear anything, I just felt like there was this thing, you know. And then I felt it move closer. It just, I just felt like almost like there was a cloud outside my door. And... I felt scared. Like my heart rate started to go up and I was like, why am I scared? This is, this is weird. Like, you know, and, and then right at the moment I, I instinctively look at my door, there was just this soft, doom, doom, almost like you're, you're taking the pad of your fist, you know, and you're just hammering on the door, but you're hammering on it very, very quietly, you know, and, 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 and there's wood floors in there. So if it were my parents doing this, I would have heard them walking up because my parents cannot be sneaky. So at that moment, I mean, the fear, the anxiety I had, which I've, I mean, I, I've never felt that scared before. Like I, my heart rate went up. I felt like, you know, like that flushing that goes up your neck started freaking out. And then instantly I fell asleep. And then I woke up the next day and I remembered that experience, but, um, I didn't have any marks on me or anything, but never happened again. But I fell asleep so fast, almost as if I was injected with Versed, you know, midazolam, you know, that's like one of the inducing meds for, for procedures, right? That's, that's what I would liken it to right now. That's, that's how fast I was like, just boom, just, I, I just fell asleep, like, despite being terrified. Uh, so you know, whether that was one of the government programs that everybody talks about on that's come onto your show, I don't, I don't know, but that was, that was my experience. Um, uh, what's next here? Oh yeah. So the next thing that happened that was kind of weird, I, I had a dream of a woman before I would meet her. Um, and the way this happened was I was going on interviews for, for medical school and this is back when Facebook was Facebook, right? This is when you could search anybody and it was only students and it was cool. And, uh, so I had this dream that I was in this room with this woman and she said a very particular name, like, and I guess I shouldn't say the name. Uh, and, and I walked into the room she was sitting on a chair wearing this black and teal dress. And the first thing she says to me is like, I've been looking for you. I want you to marry me. And I said, well, what's your name? And then she muttered something, and then I said, is this your name? And she said, no, no, it's this. 
Now, I mistook her name for another name. That's important. Um, so can you still hear me, Mel? Yeah, if you could just focus on the microphone. When you look away, the sound kind of gets Ooh. lower. And just don't touch okay. the microphone too much. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so so after this dream, I, you know, I, of course, I wrote it down. And I, I, I went to Facebook and I just decided, okay, I'm, I'm just going to search this unique name. And the second or third one down, it was, it was, it was her face. And I was like, no way I have to, I have to write her a message. So I just, I wrote her a message and I, of course I didn't mention the marriage thing, but I, but, but I said, Hey, I had this dream. We had a conversation. You were wearing this black and teal dress. Yeah, it was weird. Anyway, have a great day. She wanted to get coffee. We met up and it turns out she had just bought the black and teal dress the, the week before and she never wore it out. She was actually wearing it for the first time, looking at herself in the mirror the night that I had that dream. And then she ended up changing and not wearing it out, is what she told me. And later I would find out that people always mistook her name for the name that I mistook it for in the dream. Huh. I mean, that's that's just that's that's just impossible. There's 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 no way that's coincidence. I uh, think you I think you wrote to me. During that time, before, when you had the dream, so it's not like you're I making this I, up. I think you wrote to me, and then things progressed, and the marriage yeah. came along, and it continues to evolve, to evolve right? Well, no, actually. Um, now there's a twist. There, there, I, I never married this woman. We only oh, went out okay. for about three months um, because I'll just say she had PTSD. I don't want to give away all these particular details, but. Sure. Um, she definitely had PTSD. I'll, I will say that. And she had good reasons to have it. Um, and she was a veteran. So, um, after I thought about this and after I started having my medical training, I developed a theory that, well, does trauma drive the awakening of our inherent paranormal abilities as human beings? Uh, cause you know, you look at all of these ceremonies that people have, like in Africa, they have, I don't, I don't, I don't know what tribe it is, but you know, they, they tie up the rope that's too long and they just jump off and they plummet into a pile of dirt. Yeah. Um, that's traumatic, but, uh, I just, I just wonder if trauma has something to do with opening up, uh, those abilities. Uh, but anyway, um, I guess, I guess, you know, there were some other things, but I guess I'll move on to uh, grad school, m medical school. There were uh, several remote viewing incidences in medical school. The, for some reason in medical school, the incidents started to increase. And, and I don't I don't I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was stressed out and I wasn't eating. Uh, and so, you know, in, in a lot of cultures, when you don't eat, when you're purifying of ego and, and all that, then you, then you access the spiritual a lot easier. But, um, one remote viewing incidents I had after, and, th and this was after I started reading about the remote viewing pr program after Greer started talking about it, I, I found it in Swan and I started reading about the protocols and yada, yada, yada. But I remember I was sitting in lecture one day and I was sort of up on the far side away from the entrance. And then there was this, there was this uh, girl that came and sat down she was late for class and she came and sat down and I saw that she had a black eye and I looked at her and, and, you know, like probably like most guys, I looked at it and I was like, wow, I, I want to find out who did that to her, you know? And, but instead of, you know, getting worked up, I just took a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. I closed my eyes 
and I just thought about her and then pop a dog. I just saw a picture of a dog in my head, which is, and I, and I opened my eyes and I was like, dog. And I was just kind of confused and I, you know, finished the lecture, went through the day. Then as chance would have it at the end of the day at like five o'clock, I was walking by all the lockers. She was the only one in the hallway walking towards me. And I said, Hey, I'll just say so-and-so I'll call her Margaret. How about that? I said, Hey, Margaret, your black eye. She's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. It was, it was, it was just my boxer. (laughs) So, so I mean, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, there is, there is another thing that happened. Uh, when I was studying for my, uh, licensing exam, one of my licensing exams, uh, I'm not, I'll just say this. I'm not good at multiple choice tests. And so I, I, I mean, I passed all my exams, but I wouldn't say I had competitive uh, numbers. Okay. But I passed and I was really worried about this exam. And that night, and, you know, and, and I'm in the middle of a, of a pretty densely pop, pop, a populated city. And I've never heard owls outside of my window, like ever. And like, it's, it's the only time I ever heard an owl that night before my exam, there was an owl. It landed outside my window. I didn't see it, but it was so loud and it was just hooting. And it was almost like, it's just like, chill out. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. And, you know, I passed, but I made the mistake of looking at my score when it came out months later while I was on with the wards. And I think the scores, they come out at like 10 a.m. So I downloaded the PDF and I looked at it on my phone. And I passed, but I didn't get the score I wanted. So, I mean, so my heart sunk and I, and I kind of felt sick and, and, and I had to go on rounds. Um, I, I had to go on rounds with the whole team. And I, I went into this particular room with, with my resident uh, and that patient in particular, the resident had to give that patient some bad news. You know, this, uh, this uh, person was very sick and they had, they had heart problems and they were about to be put on dialysis. And and I was, and, and, and I just read my exam score and I, and I was not happy with myself, even though I passed, I was just angry and, 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 and sad. And I was trying to, I was trying to hide it, but apparently I wasn't because after he got the bad news from the resident, my, the resident took a phone call and kind of turned to the side. And then he looked at me and it was like, he was looking through me and he said, are you sure you want to be a doctor? And, and I, is it, it it didn't feel like it was a natural thing for him to say. Uh, it just, it just felt kind of, kind of strange. Uh, maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just, you know, it was, it was just medical school, but, um, moving on. Um, when I was in residency, uh, the experiences got, um, uh, well, there's one that got like really, really strong, really, really real. I was an intern. Uh, I was on, I was on the wards and people, and if anybody knows wards, it's basically when you're in the hospital and you're admitting and rounding on your patients and, you know, you see them in the morning and then you might go to the ER and admit patients. Right. So this one day I was rounding, I was, I was going to round in the morning and then I was going to, going to be admitting from the ER. So the night before I had a dream, (laughs) another dream that I was in someone else's house on their couch covered in my own excrement and I did not have pants on and I was in severe pain and despair is a word that that sort of describes how I felt but it, it just 
despair on steroids. Like it, it was the most despair I've ever felt in a dream ever. And when I woke up, I was like calm and perfectly disconnected from the feeling. But I still remember like that was terrible. So I, so I, so I, so, so, so then I wake up the next day I round and then we go to the ER and guess who the first person I admitted was, it was, uh, it was a gentleman who had, who was using IV heroin and, um, one day decided to inject methamphetamine and that was about a month before he came in, uh, he developed back pain, so then he had to increase his heroin use to control his back pain. So, of course, he ran out of heroin, and EMS found him on his friend's couch withdrawing from heroin in his own excrement. And as things progressed and we worked him up, he had a large infection in his back that was causing severe pain. And when I talked to him, I had this ability to empathize with him like I've never empathized with anyone before. Um, and actually, since that moment, I mean, I, I, I don't think I ever looked at drug abusers the same. I, I, I just, I just kind of feel bad for him now. And I almost wonder if, I almost wonder if, and I'm, and I'm going to get woo woo now. Uh, I wonder if the great spirit or God or whatever gives us these experiences so that we can learn something from it. You know, so maybe I wasn't empathetic enough and that experience allowed me to be more empathetic in the future, which I mean, I hope I've been right. But, um, now, uh, I guess, let's see. Uh, did you have any of those subsequently dreams that when you saw a new patient or had a different experience in life, you felt like you knew what was coming? Uh, yeah, I mean, um. Yeah, actually, at my first uh, job, um, this is while I was awake, actually, I, I was sitting uh, at my at my desk with with my fellow hospitalists, because, you know, I'm, I'm a hospitalist, I, 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 I work in the hospital, and I admit people that's that's what I do now. But I was sitting there and I saw in my peripheral vision, what I thought was a person and they just came and stopped next to my colleague. And, and it was in my peripheral. And I looked and I didn't see anybody there. And the first thing I thought of was like, somebody's dying. And so I asked my colleague, I said, dude, is somebody dying? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I got somebody on my service that they're, they're, uh, they're about to die. And I said, well, they might already be dead. And he looked at me. He's like, why do you say that? And I'm like, well, just, uh, just let me know. And so, so he went and checked. He's like, yep, they died. Um, you know, um, I guess trying to think of some other examples. Uh, I think I've had some sort of mundane seeming dreams about patients that I would see the next day that weren't that complicated. Like there was a particular diabetic patient with some neurological issues that I had a dream about. And then I saw them the next day. So it was, I think it's, I think it's probably been happening a lot more than I'm even aware of. Uh, because I mean, I haven't been writing my dreams down as frequently as I once was. Um, uh, but yeah, I, th I, I would say it happened at least a couple, a couple other times. Do you have currently, and I, I don't want you to be too descriptive because I don't want, mm -hmm. you know, your, your identity to be revealed, but do you have a specialty now or you work at a hospital, but yeah. what kind of specialty do you have if, if any so far? 
Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's internal medicine. So a hospitalist is, is somebody, you know, so, sometimes we call ourselves the jack of all trades and, uh, or, 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 or just the general manager of the patient's, uh, you know, service. Uh, we, uh, you know, we study adult medicine and, uh, take care of the adult. Um, and as far as a hospitalist goes, we're, we're keen on knowing when to consult specialists like, oh, this person's bleeding. We need to get a scope done for them, you know, a camera to look in their stomach, for example, or this person, uh, or the ER gives us a patient like, Hey, this person has a hip fracture, got to get orthopedics involved. Okay. Let's call orthopedics. But another part of my job is to click quote unquote, clear them or, or give a risk assessment for going under anesthesia. Um, so, so we sort of, so, so we're sort of at the center of this web and, 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 and we sort of get everything that we need for the patient as needed. But, you know, sometimes you don't need to consult anybody. Like sometimes it's, Hey, you, you got really dehydrated and your kidneys, uh, kind of upset with you. So I'm going to give you a fluid and I'm going to check your blood tomorrow, you know? So, so we take care of a lot of different, a lot That's of different fine. things. I just wanted to put things in perspective. Now that we have your experiences out of the way, obviously you have a different perspective than other people, especially, but let me ask you this first. Did you ever have a, when that person, when you were taking that test, ask you, do you really, are you sure that you want to be a doctor? Yeah. Did you ever have, have a fork in the road where you thought, you know, maybe this is not right for me? And obviously it was because that's what you're doing now, but how do you reconcile? And I'm, I'm going to say, as, um, as it is, we have the Rockefellers. They write the script. You know the whole story of the 13 families and who's in control and all of that. You know that. Yeah, 100 years ago, the you know, pharma. Yeah. Exactly. And the modernization of agriculture that killed all our nutrition uh, out of the soil with pesticides and all that stuff. And we've been discussing this here for forever. How does someone like you, who know the truth, but at the same time, you have to be working diligently and in a way where you're not, you can't step out of the, I hate to use this term of the reservation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I learned that lesson in different ways, sometimes the hard way, which I can, which I can, I can give you an example of, but I honestly, that guy, and I'm going to sound weird and, and, and people can call me crazy, but I'm just going off of things I've read. Like I've read, Uh, the book by Malachi Martin, Hostage to the Devil. Now, yeah. whether their possession's real or not, and whether there's variable levels of possession, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but if it's real, the first thing I thought when I when I felt like that in that guy's room was that that guy is, you know, he is severely ill. He's medically ill, and his soul is hurting because he just got terrible news. So when that happens, generally, that's kind of an opportunity for bad things to move through people. Uh, that's and that's and and this kind of comes back to the argument: is there objectively evil and good? And I mean, this to me was a sign that there is evil, and and it is independent of humans. It 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 wants us. Now, whether you want to call it Satan or Lucifer or or anything else, or 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 it's just this tendency for entropy, whatever, like 
that didn't really shake me. I, I mean, to me, it, it, it was it was more of a spiritual experience than it was second guessing the decisions I made because I I came in with a different perspective. I mean, I, I came into medicine with my biochemistry background, with my background in nutrition, already knowing that like aspartame is bad. Like I've had migraines since eighth grade. And when I stopped chewing, you know, a particular product that had aspartame, that's, that's what I'll say. My, my headaches went away. And every time my headaches came back, it was because it had, oh, it has soy lecithin. Oh, it has preservatives. Oh, it has whatever, you know? So, so I, I mean, I guess I knew what I was getting into and I knew that I had to try to try to fly under the radar enough so that I can help the patients and educate them, which is, which is really the biggest joy I find in my job, which is like the time that I can take for people that want to talk about it, like talk about lifestyle, nutrition, et cetera. Do you find some of your colleagues, for example, they admit a patient with severe headaches, for example, and mm -hmm. instead of asking Tell me what you're eating. Tell me what uh, I see that you're chewing gum. May I ask what brand? Can I, may I see the ingredient? That's someone like yeah. you probably would ask that question. But your colleagues, they probably would prescribe some, you know, pain medication, some I don't know, ibuprofen yeah. or, or Tylenol, or what have you. Do you yeah, see the difference I, yeah. between you and the others? Well, I mean, I I guess I see the difference in the approach um, because I mean, if you go through medical training. And, and, and you do just what the medical training tells you to do. We had half a day's lecture in nutrition. I'll tell you that in medical school. Um, that's probably that's it? Half a day. standard for all half a day for nutrition in all of medical school. Okay. Um, we're going to do what we're trying to do, which is to think about drugs and to, and, and, you know, to be fair, like, you know, we try to reduce exposures. Like this is why I like toxicology, you know, Toxicology is a subspecialty of emergency medicine, but internists can do it. Um, but, you know, I just like reading about it because, there, I mean, there's so much toxicology going on. And, you know, we tell people to stop smoking, to stop drinking alcohol, to stop using their drugs. But, but you know, we do turn a blind eye to like, oh, 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 there's aspartame in that bowel regimen that I just ordered. Or, you know, the list goes on. Or, or the quality of hospital food, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah. You can just say hospital food and you don't need to say anything else, right? Um, and, and this is all hospitals, right? I think Loma Linda is one exception. I think Loma Linda, which I'm applauding, that's why I'm saying it, They, I heard they outlawed soda. And the reason they did was because Betty Martini went there and educated them on it. Is that so, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I connected with Betty. Uh, I've been in touch with her over the last few years. Uh, she told me some really interesting stories. Like she also told me that she's the reason the Air Force unofficially tells all their pilots to not take aspartame because mm -hmm. aspartame can cause seizures. And, and once a pilot get, gets a seizure, it's a death sentence for yeah. their career. You know, so. Is so, she still um, well? Is she doing well? Is she doing well? Yeah, she's doing well. I think. Uh, I haven't talked to her in several months. I mean, I think I, I think I called her around Christmas uh, time, and she and she and she was doing okay. She was she was doing okay, but I mean, I now that I think about, it, I mean, I, th I think I'd like to reach out to her. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, a, see, that's the problem. We think about our good friends who have been with us on this show, for example, today. Uh, hurt yet, uh, Dr. Paul Hellier, uh, Dr. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellier, 
passed away yesterday. And, you know, we we hear of people that uh, I've been thinking of lately. I've been thinking of Dr. Betty Martini. And sometimes people say, oh, did you know that so-and-so? So So before that happens, I I always want to reach out. Uh, With Paul, you know who he he was. I told him during our last talk that I wanted, you know, if he made it to 100, I wanted to have a very tough celebration with them. And he told me, you know, if I make it, if I'm still lucid, I guarantee you that I'll be with you. But he wanted to be productive until his last day, and he was. So to the families uh, and friends and, and, and all of our listeners who had the privilege to, to, to know Dr. Hellier, my thoughts and prayers are with you. But again, in this last year, I want to know you as a doctor, how, how did you feel being a doctor in the past year? We thought two weeks to flatten the curve have now turning into two years and there's no end in sight. Yeah. Um, well, my impression, I guess, when, when, when all this first started happening, and I think I thought of this, I want to say maybe January of last year or February or something. So, so it was over a year ago. And when, when they started talking about these lockdowns and, and, and oh, don't, don't come in, the first thing I said was, well, how many people are going to be found dead at home from heart attacks, strokes, et cetera, things that you could manage if you just come in. Because, I mean, I mean, I worked at a VA and, and you know, those veterans, they're, you know, I was saying you, it's hard to kill veterans, right? And, you know, and I've seen some really tough guys just sit on their pain and, man, you should have come in sooner. But COVID, the pandemic, I, I mean, that probably just made so many people sit at home and just sit on whatever symptoms they might be having and, how many of those people were found dead? Do we know? Because we all, and, and I know we all talked about this. I know you talked about this. Uh, um, you could say those people died because of COVID, right? Not the vi- not not the virus in their body, but because because of the restrictions or the recommendations to stay home, right? Then you can still attribute it to quote COVID. So, uh, I mean, so that was that was that was my first thought was like we're we're telling people to not seek care potentially by 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 locking down. Um, the other thing that was really weird was that there wasn't a there wasn't like a guideline because uh, um, people were just flying by the seat of their pants. Honestly, like I remember the chain emails with some of my colleagues when we started considering like, hey, maybe we should just empirically put everybody on blood thinners and steroids and. You know, so I mean, so I got to see how how the inpatient management strategies evolved over time. Uh, so I, it was uh, it was definitely an interesting uh, development of 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 the guidelines, I guess, to uh, to manage folks in the hospital. Blood and blood thinners. When did you start subscribing to that thought? Is it when you start noticing that there were blood clots involved in this situation? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we're seeing so, – so the strange thing about COVID was, you know, their x-rays, you know, they have these sort of these patchy opacities that almost looks like ADRS, uh, ADRS, ARDS, um, which is, you know, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome or adult respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, it's it's a uh, – you know, it, it's a finding on the x-ray. So, so typically people come in 
and they have, you know, some flu-like symptoms and then you see opacities on their x-ray and then, uh, and then you say, Oh, you need some oxygen. Um, as people started working these people up, I mean, as doctors started working these people up, um, one of the things that we should always be thinking about when somebody comes in with low oxygen, there's, there's a, there's a rule that we get, uh, taught, it gets hammered into our heads. It's that if you, if you think of a blood clot, chase it, you know, I mean, so if you think of a PE, rule out the PE, the pulmonary embolism, which is another word for blood clots that go up, uh, from the veins in the body. Uh, they, they form because of one, because of Virchow's triad, you know, so hypercoagulable state. Uh, so, so the chemical tendency to clot or stasis of blood, you know, bad venous flow or, uh, vascular damage. That's Virchow's triad. So when you have, uh, the more aspects of Virchow's triad you have, the more likely a clot will happen. So if you're thinking there's a clot, you don't like you don't start second guessing. You just say, okay, we're gonna spin this person's chest. Go to the CT scanner, get the contrast, get it done right. And so we started seeing blood clots in association with people being positive for the COVID test. And um, and 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 you know, and anosmia was was something that was not consistent. And, and the word anosmia means you know the loss of the sense of smell. Uh, so like we weren't seeing that consistently, but I would say maybe 50, 50 from the people I saw, uh, th there were some people that had, some people that didn't, um, but the tragic thing. Okay. And Dr. Peter McCullough is, is, a, is a very wonderful, brave physician, a seasoned physician and one of the most well pu published guys. I'm sure maybe you saw his, his uh, monologue video about his experiences, right? Have you seen it or? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Perfect. Um, and I'm sure most of the, of the listeners have too, because everybody's, I feel like, I feel like everybody's connected, but, um, but like he said, we did not manage this, uh, at properly at all from the medical side. Okay. For, forget what the presidents have been doing. Let's, let's just talk about what the medical community did. We told everybody to stay home and sit with it. You know, I, I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like a bad sitcom. Oh, well, I'm just going to sit with it. Uh, you know, a lot of these people were sitting at home with medical problems uh, and, and the virus just incubates and incubates and incubates. You can't give them hydroxychloroquine or, or, um, I won't say the other ones, maybe until the later segment. How about that? Those yeah, medications. Those then? Med yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, yeah. I mean, so you can't. So you can't give hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or fluvoxamine when they're that sick uh, and expect a good outcome. Um, and the same with remdesivir. The same with all of these uh, treatments that that have been talked about. Uh, so 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 you know the waves and 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 the surges was all because we didn't do anything to prevent it. So the 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 prevention strategy that we should have done was. Well, what do you do for most viruses? Well, you, you support the immune system with, with micro and macronutrients, like stay away from too much sugar, stay away from processed foods, make sure your vitamin D is good, make sure that you're getting extra zinc and quercetin to facilitate the zinc's absorption. And I mean, if everybody took mega doses of vitamin D uh, at that time, if, if everybody had done it, I mean, 
I wonder what would have happened. Because have you heard of the shade trial, Mel? The shade trial. Refresh my memory. The, yeah. Um, yeah. S-H-A-D-E in all caps, the shade trial. Um, so I don't remember what journal it, it was accepted in, but um, it was a low powered study uh, and and it, it was hospitalized patients with COVID. So they gave the control group uh, obviously nothing. And oh, vitamin D. What happened. Yeah, exactly. So so the control group didn't get anything. And then the other group of people got vitamin D2, okay? Not D3, D2. So I think, and I mix up the numbers, but it was on the order of 60,000 or 70,000 units of vitamin D2. And they got it every single day for like over a week. And they compared the vitamin D2 megadosers to the control group. The control group had a critical illness rate consistent with, uh, you know, some numbers coming from the nation. In that study, it was a 50% uh, risk of going critical. And you know what happens when people go critical with COVID. You know, their their risk of death skyrockets. And we can talk about that later too. But um, guess what the percentage of critical illness was in the vitamin D group? Guess. Hmm. 2%. Wow. You go from 50% to 2%. And you just give them tens of thousands of vitamin D2. That's it. So my question is, why wasn't this adopted into the, into the, at least the inpatient guidelines? Why wasn't it, why, why didn't the CDC or the, why didn't they talk about it? Because, I mean, you're not going to overdose on vitamin D. The, I mean, the people that overdose on vitamin D, those are going to be the people with, you know, rare issues or uncommon issues or, you know, types of kidneys like familial hypercalciuria, which is like very rare and, and, and different stages of kidney disease where you just have to make sure you don't drive your calcium up too high. But most people are not going to overdose on vitamin D. So why? Why? I, I mean, and, and, you know, and I'm sure you know all the examples, uh, everybody trying to prevent from Australia to South Africa to Canada. I mean, doctors are under attack for trying to prevent this. And it's, it's, it's mind boggling, right? Because why did, why did we become doctors? Like, why did we go into medicine if we didn't care about the human condition? Right. So it's, um, um, so how did you react to this knowledge, this, this information when you, you saw COVID patients in your hospital? Well, um, well, when I found the shade trial, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I started, I started giving, high dose vitamin D to my patients actually. And I didn't see enough of them at the time, but because I mean, I think, I think it was towards the end of the wave, that particular wave that we had. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get to really do my own study, I guess. I, I mean, I gave it to some people, uh, and whether it helped them or not, I mean, I'm not going to know, but I, at least I read a scientific paper and it changed my management and I, and, and it was in the interest of the patient. And, you know, I can, I can say that I, that I tried to do that. Um, you know, there was, there was one particular patient, um, this, 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 uh, and I won't give a lot of details on them and I won't say when I treated them, but they, they, this, this person was older. Uh, I think they were seventies or eighties. They were already on vitamin C and vitamin D at home and they came in with COVID. So, they were already at risk of dying just just because of their age, because age is the biggest risk factor, right? I mean, you're you're over seventy five, you're, and then and then the next one's obesity, you know. So, so you got to watch out. And 
and I gave this person um, uh, extra vitamin D, a, a high high dose of vitamin D. And the the day I started it, uh, this person went from like six or seven liters per minute to two liters like the next day. And the other thing I did with this person was I said, you know, a lot of people are getting scared. You need to not be scared. You need to relax and you need to have positive thoughts. And those are the two things I did that day. I gave him high dose D and I said, you, you, you know, you just got to relax a little bit and, and not have such a negative outlook. And, and I mean, this person wasn't too negative to begin with, but I could tell that they were scared. And, and, and I mean, I discharged this person and, you know, so this person defied, you know, some, some of the predictive metrics of death, uh, maybe because they were taking care of themselves to begin with. Uh, maybe it was a combination of that and the D. I mean, I don't know, but you know, I try to talk to people about their feelings, uh, at least briefly, uh, while I'm throwing chemicals at them. So, well, I think that it's so, so important when you, I'll ask you in a moment mm-hmm. about the reception that perhaps your peers had when you started administering some things that to some people may sound unorthodox, but what mm-hmm. you said about fear, you know, when worrying becomes excessive, it can lead to feelings of high anxiety and even cause you to be physically ill. We've been discussing this for as far as I can remember, mm-hmm. but when it comes to, Treating people with with vitamin D2, and by the way, I'm new to vitamin D2. I, mm-hmm. I know about vitamin D3. I know the interaction of quercetin with quercetin with um, zinc and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, K2 with others. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what you did, this was at, the, at a time when there was no, quote-unquote, vaccine available yet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm told that the reason why they are totally against hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, or anything else, is because an alternative treatment cannot exist in order for this experimental, uh, can we even call it a vaccine, gene therapy is available to the public. Uh Uh-oh. Just, Jeremy, I lost you. Isn't it interesting? I expected this to happen, but let's see if I can get him back. Hey, Mel. (laughs) I sometimes expect this to happen when I ask certain questions. Yeah. Did you hear the part of what I was asking when it yeah, comes yeah, to, I, to, let's just reconnect for the listeners yeah. so that we don't get. I, what I heard you say was uh, uh, there cannot be an alternative management strategy in order to push an experimental therapy. Is, is, is that, is, was that your question? Correct. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you are, I would say you're correct, uh, because why else would they be trying to stop everybody from from preventing it? Uh, uh, so, and 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 you know, you say you say not vax, and uh, we can certainly get into that. I I don't know if that should be the next segment, but uh, trying. By to the way, I know you, I know you you're wondering. I no longer I will no longer post anything that I deem risky on YouTube. So what I do now, folks, uh-huh. if you're listening, I'm going to put a picture of the the uh, program that we're advertising, if you want to call it that way. Uh-huh. And basically, I'm going to include the link to the interview, and you just click on it on the description of YouTube. But I will no longer give the censor of, uh, censor of YouTube the pleasure of continuing to give me strikes, 
the platform in me or deleting the channel. We already lost our Vimeo channel with over 1,500 videos, and it was a private channel. So oh anyway, God. just want to let you know you can say whatever you want. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, great. So so I, I just sent you uh, another email there. It's just a whole list of uh, links of different things. And, and if you scroll down uh, and you click on the postmortem study, uh, uh, find find the postmortem. I mean, you know, you, you don't you don't have to have to open it right now. But basically, yep, there was a postmortem study, and it was published uh, in April of this year. And it was an 86 year old man who uh, received the first dose of, I believe that code is uh, uh, bleep zor uh, vaccine. People should be able to figure out what I said. Um, so, uh, so he died four weeks later. Now, now the details of his death are, so he got the first shot and I don't even think he got a second shot. And 18 days after he comes in with diarrhea. Um, and again, he's an 86 year old guy, so he's probably got vascular disease. So he comes in with diarrhea. So, so then they work him up, they do a colonoscopy, they find an ulcer, uh, in his colon. So what does that mean? Ischemic colitis. So ischemic means no blood flow or, or, or poor blo blood flow. Colitis means irritated colon. So so he gets the shot and then, oh, wow, 18 days later, he gets a, a ischemic colitis flare. Um, then they checked, uh, they were able to check uh, spike protein uh, IgG levels, which were elevated. Uh, and then they looked at his nucleocapsid IgG, IgM levels, and those were not there. Um, so that's interesting, right? And so then after, uh, after some, some days in the hospital, he contracted COVID from his roommate. Then he died. He died of uh, bronchopneumonia and uh, kidney failure. So my... So my putting it together statement was, got the shot, hypercoagulable state, right? We talked about Virchow's triad. So hypercoagulable state from a shot in a guy who's already got poor blood flow disease, uh, probably in his whole body. Um, it sets off his bowel disease. Then he gets the actual infection, which cytokine stormed him, and then it caused multi-organ failure. That's it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I'm frankly amazed, uh, that this got accepted, uh, because I mean, the, cause I mean, it, the, the writing is on the wall with this article. Uh, so it's, it's a good article to share. I want to just come back here because we had, I'm not going to name his name, but we had him twice last year, a doctor who uh -huh. from the beginning, I have to give him credit for this. He said, this is going to cause cytokine storm. This is before anybody discussed this at all. You know, who, right. you know exactly who I'm talking uh, about. Exactly. Yep. Uh, but my respects to him for saying that. And this is exactly what they're finding. And you sent me an email, I think it was yesterday, with the postmortem of an autopsy, where you kind of um, you, you made a metaphor or parallel if it's flammable, right? Remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about um, that. I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I come up with these little uh, sayings 
post more. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. So I did send it. Okay. So uh, this is uh, this is what I wrote. So if chronic illness were flammable, then the jab is both gasoline and a lit match. There probably aren't many postmortems on a jab like this, but they did a fantastic job using the right wording to not get censored. Immunogenicity, quote unquote, is just synonymous with overproduction of the spike IgG, which means widespread, quote, activity, the acuity of which depends partly on burden of chronic illness. What I'm saying is the patient probably had a lot of chronic illnesses before he received the shot. His diarrhea was uh, due to diffuse ischemia of his bowels precipitated by the IgG spike. And uh, the final kill shot was actually getting COVID from his roommate, which cytokine stormed his body. So, you know, to me, this is uh, this 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 article is one of the smoking guns, if if we can call it that. Let's define two terms here, because I think we're going to be hearing this. <laughs> I'm hoping two more weeks to flatten the curve, but that's going to be impossible. Sat the gun storm, define that, and please define spike protein. Yeah. So, um, so cytokine storm, it's, 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 it's basically when, when, when you hypersensitize your body to an antigen, uh, and instead of, uh, sensitizing your body in a way that productively deals with the threat that is present, which is there's a threat, go and destroy it. Everybody's happy. Um, instead of that, the, the, the cytokine storm indicates that, uh, the, the antigen will present itself and then the whole immune system will just start going haywire. And if I can use a metaphor, will will start bombing everything indiscriminately. So, so it's like, it's like the difference between boots on the ground and bombing. We could say that, right. Um, that's gross over uh, simplification and I'm not an immunologist and it's been a while, but that's, that's the best way I can put it. Isn't that uh, what H does? Or if you yeah. believe that H exists, some people say that it does not exist, that it's HIV. And the reason why people die were because of the drugs and the fear imposing to them. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we, I mean, the HIV syndrome, you know, it seems to be real uh, because we have tests, we have blood tests that, that can check for the antibody. And when we see people with the syndrome, uh, especially if, uh, if, uh, if, if their HIV has, has turned into AIDS, which, which is when their, their, uh, their, uh, CD4 count is so, is so low. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it real uh, because I've, I've taken care of HIV patients and, and some people that had AIDS, uh, because you have to be very careful with them. I mean, like some of them, you can't treat them immediately for HIV because if you treat them too quickly, then you will reveal the, the other infections that are sitting, uh, you know, dormant in their body and their immune response to those infections could kill them. So Ooh. then you have to put them on all the other antibiotics to, to, uh, to take care of those bacterial infections first and then deal with the HIV later. Is there a parallel uh, between it, HIV and COVID. Some people have said that there's a parallel there with the cytokine yeah. storm. Um, yeah, there is. Uh, that's actually one of the links I, I just sent to you. <laughs> I, I love your questions, Mel. Um, so to answer your second question, because you asked in a second qu uh, question, what is spike protein? So um, now 
now, like, uh, well, we're at about an hour. I, I don't know if you want to cut now or if you want to. Couple more minutes, break. and we'll take a break after the, after oh. this. Yes. Okay. So spike protein um, uh, was uh, uh, evaluated by uh, a group in India, and and this is a controversial study because it was uh, forcibly withdrawn. Uh, but uh, those those researchers were interviewed, and they stand by their work. I mean, really, they were sort of uh, threatened and and bullied into withdrawing their their paper, but. Um, when, when, when the COVID, uh, sequences were released, uh, and people were downloading them, this, this, uh, group of researchers from India, these wonderful researchers, they, they found that the spike protein is made up of, uh, mostly HIV proteins, uh, or at least a significant amount of HIV proteins. So, so there's, there's GP120, uh, and GP120 is lipophilic. And what that means is it, is fat soluble uh you know it likes fat and and actually uh major parts of it are are are, are variations of that gp120 you know uh, there's there's like two or three different versions and actually between countries there's there's even some variability and then there's another part that's called gag gag and and that group is from hiv and that has many positively charged groups and the whole point of this protein is that it 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 facilitates entry into cells because the outer, if you know about cell structure, there's a phospholipid bilayer, and so the so the nonpolar part faces inside of the of you know the center of the wall, and then the outer parts are negatively charged. So so gag is positively charged, so that interfaces with the outside, and then the rest of it, the GP120, it just slides right through the the uh, you know the the fatty innards and i mean so it just it, it just gets into the cells so easily so yeah i mean i would say there is a connection um now fauci interestingly addressed this study and and he just ridiculed it and and uh, he just he just wrote it off and and didn't respond he just ignored it uh but what fauci maybe forgot uh, and this is also in the in the list of links i sent you there was a study done in 2004 which even back then was comparing SARS-CoV-2 to HIV in structures, in, in, in the protein structures. So, you know, and then we could get into David Martin and about how he's, he's I think David Martin is the reason Rand Paul is going after Fauci because we actually have evidence to suggest that Fauci is a terrorist. Um, I, or at least we need to... We, I'll rephrase it. We need to uh, prove whether he's a terrorist or not. How about that? Well said. And I feel sometimes that Rand Paul is the the person who's alone there in the Senate when you have so many people who are bottom paid for. And when you look at the CDC, and I've had this conversation with doctors, mm -hmm. and many of them look at me as if I am from outer space. And you would think that if you talk to a banker, for example, and you mention to a banker or a you know, financial advisor, and you tell them, you understand that the Federal Reserve is not federal and it doesn't have any reserves, like, uh, what do you mean? And that they're part of the government, aren't they? These are professionals who's supposed to know basics. So when you go to the medical industry and you tell them, why do we have to listen to a unelected official? And by the way, for every law we have, all these entities, they're not government entities, 
have 13 regulations that we have to abide by that we shouldn't because they're not, they're not laws. And by the way, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is a private nonprofit organization classified as a 50C3. And basically, they're a private entity. It, it, they survive on charitable contributions and philanthropic grants, i.e. Bill Gates and his friends, from individuals, foundations, and corporations. And by the way, why don't you look for all the patents, including COVID-19 patents? So you're going to tell me that the fox is not guarding the hen house? I want to discuss this and get deeper during part two. Usually, I ask the person to give me contact information, the title of a book, or what have you. But you don't have either. You're just coming to Vox Populi to speak your truth. Am I right? Yes, sir. Well, that is correct. One more hour with Dr. Jeremy. We're going to get deeper. I have lots of questions. We wanted to just explain his story. Uh, some people might say, hey, why do you need to talk about the paranormal stuff? Because that shapes you. That shaped me. I have my own unexplained. I don't call them paranormal because that would think that it's not normal. But what if it's normal? What if it happens to so many people? But we are ridiculed at, a child at an early age and we just stop talking about them. But I bet you this happens more often than, than we think. It's just that people block them. They don't want to be ridiculed. But I'm glad that you're in a safe platform with me here to discuss more. This is Mel Hustlerick. You're listening to Veritas, Veritas Vox Populi. And my special guest today is Dr. Jeremy. One more hour coming up. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.